You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we are back. Well, I'm back with an all-new episode of Keep It. Hello! It is Leo season and my birthday. (laughs) So (laughs) I had to fly to New York for a little vacay. And what better to do in New York than record with two of my favorite people? I'm staring at you. I know. I'm an artist. So intense. I don't want to interrupt. Introduce yourself. Hi, I am Aminatu So. I'm a friend of Ira's, lover of Leo season. One of the hosts of Call Your Girlfriend. Yes, I do that too. It's a podcast for long distance besties. And that's it. Can I tell a really funny joke about you and Leo season though? Because you, because you're having like coast to coast birthday parties, (laughs) and I was like, Ira, is today your real birthday? Because I'm like, how many of these are we gonna get invited to? But also, you were like, no, I'm not a cancer, of course. My birthday. I am nobody's cancer. (laughs) And I was like, good horoscope. (laughs) And of course, Doreen Saint Felix. Yes. This is a reunion. It's so a reunion. You're my husband, yeah. basically. Wow, I'm <laughs> right here, guys. Doreen's up in New Yorker now, and I am. Um, I left media behind. But Doreen and I used to host a podcast at MTV News. I don't know if you've heard of it. I was the, your number anymore. one fan, remember? I do remember. I was the Speed Dial number one fan. Yeah. It's got Speed Dial. And so I feel like Keep It's technically a spinoff. Oh, my God, it is. Yeah. Aww. And now so, you're here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I haven't been on a podcast in a while, so I'm working on my sexy podcast voice again. Right, Hilton Alls is shook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Been, been shook. <laughs> Y'all are going to get me in trouble. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of people getting in trouble, mm. our, um, our first topic is... White people getting fired. White people behaving badly. It Coming is, to a theater near you. It, I'm just. We're just gonna put it all. So in all of the permit patties. Like, like, let's name them. Well, James Gunn got fired from Disney for some tweets. He is the director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One and Two. He was fired from Guardians of the Galaxy Three for making. Is, are these Marvel movies? Yes. Okay. For making from the Marvel comic universe related jokes online. <laughs> In his past, Paramount TV's Amy Powell was um What did she say? I'll tell you off the air what she said because I'm not trying to get sued on a crooked media podcast. But I will tell you I will tell you that the minute I saw the headline that that lady had been fired, I was like, Of course she got fired. She is a famous, you know, like whenever they say like insensitive language, you always know it's about race because mm-hmm. they like won't tell you. Well, they describe that in the article. They say that it was something about. I know, black but they women. don't tell you until way into the article. Right. They're right. just like they're like she invented TV. She like did you know like right. they're so just like Amy struggling to fire her. Worked at right. Paramount TV mm-hmm. for fourteen years. She was fired for quote inappropriate comments. Apparently, there was a notes call for the upcoming First Wives Club reboot. With all black people. Yes, all black people. Uh, mm. My boo, Tracy Oliver, what is running it. What do you think she it. said? What do you think she uh, said? Something right. like, black women can't be wives. So... <laughs> like, what? Like, have you ever seen a married black <laughs> yeah, Have you ever seen a... You know, like, you're like, what? Like She did not say the N-word. The, the, Pop, arti- the Papa article, John. That makes the it article, worse. The article that makes it made worse, honestly. sure to note that she's not Papa John. So, Kim Masters who is a journalist, you know, (laughs) at um, Hollywood Reporter, other places. Uh, She tweeted her tea. She said, I'm told she characterized black women in a way that was offensive to an employee listening on a notes call. Further, when questioned, she allegedly denied making those comments, though others on the call said, you made those comments. 
Yes, and call. also the call was it's recorded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I heard this in my own. T- you know the problem with these articles. So it, actually, I find it funny that you're lumping in all the white people getting fired look together because I do think that there are distinct kinds of firings. They are, and they're very different kinds of firings. Yeah, they're we'll like very different that. kinds of firings. The thing that I find fascinating about these, like, um, somebody said something on a call and they won't tell you what it is, is that it does all of us a disservice, actually. I was Mm -hmm. like, you should tell people what the offense is. Because one, those people are not learning from their mistakes, if they indeed did make mistakes. But also, they always qualify them as like, oh, a black in the in the company was upset. And it's like, no, like more people if if the thing is offensive, everybody should be Right. Upset. The way they <laughs> characterize this is like a person listening in, like the janitor was cleaning up in the back and was like, Oh no, nah, miss, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm L- sorry, Miss Daisy. If that is the I truth like of the said. janitor at Paramount, and I'm like, I am on your team, Mr. Janitor at Paramount. Listen, you know how TV people say wild shit all the time? Like, right. It's not, it does not like stretch the imagination. Well, that, so this uh, is... A TV executive that does not have a track record of <laughs> making uh, diverse television, as you would say, would have like weird views about uh, people who are not white. And that's the thing. You know what? I like Paramount TV. They're connected with Younger, which is... <laughs> which is, which is, which is, is our show. A fantastic television our show, show that um, my friend writes on, but it is also very white. Right. Um, they have a black recurring character now. What are you complaining oh, about? Oh, yeah, that, that character from a Zane novel. <laughs> yes, Isn't Zane. His name Zane. His name so is literally name Zane. Zane. <laughs> like Zane Erotica? Yes. <laughs> he's just no. a shady black man in he's public. A sha- okay. He's a shady black man, but he, you know, he's, he's sleeping with Hillary Duff. Yeah, he's. And he's gonna boo up with Hillary Duff, but yeah. she's gonna leave him for Nico Tortilla, the other character. I <laughs> do you notice how I've said like Marvel, Nico Tortilla? I'm like not learning anybody's correct name here. Uh, well, speak, so speaking of Marvel, like that firing was obviously very different. James Gunn, as I said, was fired from Guardians of the Galaxy three. Technically, it's because he has a whole bunch of tweets from his past when he first jumped on Twitter and he was a quote unquote provocateur as these white people like to call themselves. Um, (laughs) And he wrote a lot of tweets, and I mean a lot of tweets, about pedophilia jokes, basically. Disney cut ties with him. Now, these tweets had been public knowledge like a few years ago, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until the alt-right started riling these tweets up to First get of him all, fired. Light, please get it right. <laughs> Ira. Until um vitamin D milk Twitter um, <laughs> got riled up and part of it was they are angry that Disney fired Roseanne. And so they yeah. wanted revenge. One of the people who spearheaded <laughs> this is someone named Mike Cernovich, who has a bunch of tweets himself where he says rape doesn't exist. So, And he was a big propagator of the pizza, pizza gate. gate. Yeah. So it's like, Conspiracy. what are we doing here, Disney? Also, so it's we can acknowledge here that there's a double standard of like blaring one when it comes to Disney capitulating to the alt-right, right? But also at the same time, I saw a lot of people like going out of their way to make Gunn like a martyr for free speech on the left Could or so called left or whatever you call Could it. Be it's me. just like, <laughs> why are you making pedophilia jokes? You work for Disney. Disney right. like very much has a relationship to children, children and youth. I don't know if you're. Disney wouldn't hire Simon Rex for like doing his solo porn video. We've all seen it. Well, what? I mean, for the Simon Rex. I, we have not all seen it. <laughs> we have not all seen it because we are children Don't of God. Don't assume, Ira. <laughs> Don't assume. Well, you know the thing about... Maybe I do miss Lewis. <laughs> the, um, please. Um, you know the thing... The thing about this firing, I think, that is really fascinating, this one, is that obviously the all... Whatever. The the Nazis and the, like, the, the friendly Nazis are all liars. They're, like, clearly liars. They love taking tweets out of context to get people fired. They did it this guy at MSNBC. And the They cor- also tried to do it with Dan Harmon right. and, um, and corporations and Morty. Yeah. And so he deleted his right. Twitter. But also like corporations are just like very woof. Like they don't understand context. They're just like, oh my God, 10 tweets, fire the person. 
But the thing about this is that it's also, you know, they're like crimes of privilege. At the same time, like, who has the privilege of, like, standing around and making pedophilia jokes all day? And who has the privilege of, like, thinking that their voice will get somebody fired, right? I was like, it's It's not an accident that it's all men that are getting caught up in this net, you know, so like I, I watch it. I did not know white men were on Twitter like white making men, all sorts of pedophilia jokes like so back weird. in the yeah, day. It's a right. not, not even back in the day. It's, it's the thing about like being provocative, right? And so it's like I look at like James Gunn's brother or whatever, like defended him and was like, oh my God, he's an amazing person. He's a great filmmaker or whatever. And I was like, that's probably all true. But, you know, right, the narrative as, a, as was... a black woman, like I don't see a world in which like I'm out here making pedophilia jokes one like for sport you know like and getting hired and also just like all of the consequences of that same kind of speech for us is very different so i don't understand like being a provocateur for the sake of it or for different kinds of speech you know you imagine like if there was a high-ranking black director or executive who you know got fired for tweets let's say about white people like that's something it's all part of the same universe you know what i mean which is to say that our speech is already suppressed. And when they decide to mobilize on all those old tweets that we have about white people acting in certain ways, like that's when I think it's worth it to like talk about speech. But like, I don't personally, I don't think that James Gunn is really like a good example of like, well, I should be able to say whatever I want to say. Right. Because people also pointed out. They're literally football players out here who like don't have work because they're actually doing a real protest. who was that athlete who had those like really crazy racist tweets and then he was applauded when he... Oh, the, is like, this a baseball crime? Yeah, I don't, I I don't think fuck it was with baseball. baseball. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. the Brewers. Please, there, there's my a, hometown baseball team. There's a reason team. that like baseball has historically low like black viewership. You know um, what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's not my problem. The Dominicans they kind of like <laughs> skewed. I'm like, you guys way, are, but... you know, I'm like, shout out to all the poppies uh. out here. <laughs> you guys are on your own. But you know what I mean? It's right. just this kind of thing. It's like nobody looks at what's happening in the NFL. Like all of these, you know, like everybody who's like rehired James Gunn or whatever none of them are like hey maybe if we're engaged in the same kind of exercise and the same kind of battle maybe we should find a way to like prop up these sports players who've been trying to assert their first amendment rights but they're just out there on their own and then people want you know like they want me to break a sweat for like somebody who is making like bad jokes and they see themselves in james gunn right that's the thing they don't see themselves in those athletes also james gunn's problem too as many women started pointing out is that he also had a history of making sexist and homophobic comments which he apologized for but in 2012 he was called out for making them in reference to lesbian superhero batwoman and other sort of sexist comments online. And he also went through that whole battle with the woman who originally came up with the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, And we're in the Writers Guild, you know? So it's like, if you do a significant amount of rewrites and changes and make it your own, like, your name gets slapped on it, yes. But there's something to be said about the fact that a woman put in all that work to bring these characters to life and get Disney to greenlight a movie based on nobody knew who the fuck the Guardians of the Galaxies were, <laughs> you know, uh, at large before they greenlit <laughs> it. On. Don't and on it. <laughs> then he, you know, just sort of swooped in, you know. So a lot of people pointed out that he has, like he's you know, a, a pattern of being, you know, just sort of like a right. seeing it for himself straight white I mean, guy but that's, but that's always what happens right it's like obviously like who doesn't love the first amendment like everybody in america pretends that they're all about the first amendment but as we know the first amendment is exercised differently <laughs> for very many different people in this country mm-hmm. and you know and some people they're using all their first amendment energy for like terrible jokes that people are making and the rest of us are like we're literally out here fighting for our lives should disney have fired this person no should this person have made like terrible jokes no especially (laughs) since disney knew full well that roseanne was a full-on racist before they hired her yeah the video of her talking about valerie jarrett came out like the day after this was roseanne has been awful but also like you know roseanne is you know like Roseanne probably is, you know, suffers from some sort of mental illness. You so saw the, the video, people, though, right? I mean, I did see the video. She looks great as a blonde. I'm not going to lie. 
Um, but you know, it's the kind of thing where I thought I was focusing- watching. I thought I was watching Imitation of Life. I know, but I'm so tired I of hearing. I thought the bitch was, was right. I know. Talking about Valerie Jarrett, who is light skinned. But, but also born in Iran. Right. Yeah, I know. But also, like this, like that's not the point. Yeah, but, and also, like don't making... call white people monkeys either. I know, exactly. you know. But also, yeah, maybe McGill like, Gorilla doesn't deserve that. <laughs> don't call people monkeys. But the other thing about all of this too is, I'm like, I, you know, did I fuck with Roseanne, the original Roseanne, one hundred percent? Does Roseanne deserve the amount of press that she is getting right now? Absolutely not. I don't care about this. But it's propped up by people, again, who pretend that it's a speech issue when it's like like racism has jumped out. Right, <laughs> which leads me to your New Yorker article, Doreen, which was beautiful, about how you, we're getting so much <laughs> press, you know, with like these white people who are turning into memes, you know, you coupon like, Carl, permit Patty, and I it's do like love permit Patty. <laughs> permit Patty is it. Really she's a she's a pioneer. Uh, and these are the people who have been publicly calling nine one one on black people right. in public spaces for just existing. Right. Um, Tell me something and, I don't know. That white people have been calling nine one one on us my whole And life. they're turning the camera back on these people and exposing them online, but then it's in turn giving these people cute names online and you know we're making memes and jokes out of it and it's like at the end of the day are we yeah but who's making memes and jokes out of it? black people you know what i mean yeah but but i think that that is very the thing i don't know i i'm down with like black people making these memes because for a long time we were made the memes and nobody understood the like, racial implications. We of are memes still. So, like, you know what I mean? We're still memes, but at the same time, like, well, if you know, like Permit Patty, an iconic meme. I will I will ride for that forever. Mm-hmm. The swimming pool patrol guy, I was like, keep that same energy. Mm-hmm. But also I was like, if this is the way that like white people learn is through shame, then like I welcome all right. the memes. It's interesting. First they came for Sky Jackson <laughs> and now we've come for Patty. <laughs> What I find really fascinating about these videos is that they're funny, right? <laughs> yes. The white person is always like... Really heated and flushed <laughs> and just like, oh, yeah. Did you like, see the CVS guy that was shaking? The- I was like, you... So that one, I feel like a little strangely about that one because it seems like he actually might have like a tremor. Like, no, he, might he have didn't. A- the lady, I like followed the thread. The lady said that he... he well, she doesn't, know, she doesn't know that. Like, yeah. I believe she, her. Whatever the case is, he, was he had like there was a camera on him. No, because he had he has a he had a physical reaction to like being the police. That's what I think is so yeah. interesting about these people is that they're not. It's not that they're just calling the police, right? They're like embodying the idea that they can like patrol it's people. It's the Cartman, like I am the authoritarian, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like that's all of them. <laughs> and it's an interesting antidote to the summers we've had, you know, past where it's like the videos that were circulating and going viral were of young black people being killed yeah right and they still are being killed but for some reason those videos i mean we can definitely account that to like the trumpian area in which police brutality is just not covered as much Mm -hmm. those videos aren't really going viral right now these are the ones that are and i think they're really educational to white people who only think like the police are bad because sometimes they kill black people and it's like no it's a system and it degrades your lifestyle right like it's not just about the cases in which there are fatalities. It's also just like being inconvenienced, you know, not being able to go to CVS and just like buying your prescription. It's all these things. It's like a continuum. And all of them like create this environment where we do not experience America in the same way. And it's as showing that it's not isolated incidents either. It's right. not just like kids at a pool where you like maybe even as a bougie black person might be like, uh, oh, they were these, being too loud What are these or ratchet something. kids doing right, over there, right. you know? Because uh, we always do that to ourselves instinctively. Well, one of the pool people, though, definitely was wearing socks in the pool. And I was like, would I call Sometimes the police? Sometimes you need to <laughs> wear socks in the pool. I'm he didn't kidding. have his flippers. <laughs> he didn't have his flippers. <laughs> what do you want him to do? But you know the, th- the thing, actually, about these videos that I, I've been both fascinated by and have loved is the fact that it's always been acceptable for like white people to have these like ridiculous stereotypes of black people. Right. Right. Which is, Mm -hmm. which like for a lot of us, that's what we chafe at. Right. Where we're like, actually I'm a bougie black person coming into CVS. Like you can't lump me into this, whatever group. And it's like, well, actually like, welcome to the world now where you realize that we also have stereotypes for you. And that a lot of times, you know, like that, 
that experience of feeling lumped in with everyone. Like every time I talk to my white friends about this, they're just like, yeah, like that person was awful, but like, clearly that's not me. And I was like, mm. I was like, you should probably think about all of the ways that your first instinct is to always call the police or how you feel, how you participate in this chain. Yeah. Like the cops don't just like show up sometimes. So you know brought, what I mean? I mean, sometimes they, they do. Yeah, sometimes they do. But I think that like in a lot of the cases that you have seen, they're invited into exactly. communities and it's like, well, like now you can take stock right. of what it means when you are a gentrifier you come in somewhere and then you don't like how things are done here. Also, all these incidents, when you look at them, they're so petty to their core. That's the thing I've loved about these videos is like showing all sorts of white people saying like, this can be you. Like you are capable of stooping to this like low because you think that somebody doesn't have a permit for a barbecue. Like who the fuck cares? I somebody doesn't, you know, like somebody's made up a coupon for seat. Like who is going to go through that amount of work to like get $20 off at CVS? It is just this like othering that always happens and they never think that the, it, it's right. the lens can be turned onto them. And so that has been, that's been a great summer edition for me. I do still think though, that there are plenty of white viewers who are watching these videos and feeling that distance between themselves and the permit patty. And part of that is because like, we're literally creating them. We're making them into characters, right? Yeah. We're making them into stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And therefore that gives them an exit point to be like, Oh, I'm not like this person, you know? And Robin D'Angelo, who's a sociologist, has this book that just came out and it's on white fragility. And it's all about how white people can hold like two completely conflicting ideas in their head. And when we're talking about white people here, we mean like good white people. They can believe that racism is endemic to the way society works, but also they're not those people. Like they're not racist. And I feel like, I've seen responses to the video where people are, you know, like gobsmacked and like can't believe that this is happening. And it's like, that's not the right response. The response right. is to understand it and to say like, that could be me. Like I have been socialized to the point that like I can be in an environment and without thinking consciously, I can precipitate that kind of thing. Like I can call the police on people and some of these people have. I know for a fact people who have been – you know, respond to these videos like, oh, these white people are like no, such hicks or whatever. The that they have called the police. 100%. Like noise complaints. Mm -hmm. I, that is, I cannot next fathom. Using next door. Well, yeah, that, you read, like you surveillance. Read the, you read that like oh BuzzFeed, that BuzzFeed piece about this, right? Where they went on this, I believe it was like a block in Harlem, maybe. Definitely like a black neighborhood. And they went through and looked up the uptick of um, of incidents that were reported on the street, and it, oh, it like one hundred percent correlated with gentrification. So it's just like white people moving into neighborhood, and they're like, "I don't like people loudly playing dice outside." I don't, you know, like, and just this idea, this idea that you can take up so much space is wild. I was like, you can come as an outsider, bring your own like values or lack thereof, <laughs> and think that you can impose that on everybody i was like that is literally that's something that is so foreign to me because right. i think about this every time that i have to move you know because the truth is that like we are also like black middle class gentrifiers so that's something that like i am highly i'm like very conscious of but then when i think about like the fact that white gentrifiers like literally don't think about it and they will call people for noise complaints and i'm you know they will call people for like loitering is i'm like is it really loitering if you're standing outside of your own house right and it's just that idea of like wow you people will do anything for cheaper rents like this is nuts and it does put a lot of people's lives in danger and they just like never seem to realize that i only call the police when I see Stacy Dash outside my apartment. I've only called the police on white people, truly. Cause I was like, I can't handle this. It's like there's I'm like, there's white crime happening. Let the police deal with it. You're just on Wall Street. Yeah. I'm like, hello, I'm sitting in front of a bank. <laughs> Crimes are being crimed. Woo child. The suburbs. Woo child. <laughs> when we're back. Chance the rapper goes into the publishing business. <laughs> Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? Ha, 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 ha.
No? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Chancellor Jonathan Bennett, (laughs) otherwise known as Chance the Rapper, recently released four new surprise singles. But more surprising than the drop was the news that he recently purchased Chicagoist. Uh, It's a news publication. Do we know how much he paid for it? No. Was it on discount? (laughs) No, I mean, are these some of the publications that are on the the, They've had a lot of problems. Yeah. uh, it's like part of the DNA info. Okay. So, yeah. so he like Venmoed somebody and then he got a website. <laughs> he announced it uh, in the lyrics of one of the songs. Ugh. And he later released a statement that said his purchase of Chicago was, was to bring the people of Chicago, an independent media oh, outlet God. focused on amplifying diverse voices and content. But as we all know, Chance has been accused of buying the paper in response to his perceived unfair criticism that he routinely gets from other Chicago outlets. Outlets that he calls out in the song. Not not just Chicago outlets, though. He literally has gotten his criticism taken out of um, certain Viacom properties that I will not name. But Um, the Chicago thing... (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm like, Chance the Publisher is really Chance the Censor human being. He's so young to have developed this weird, like, Silicon Valley barren personality yes. that he already has. <laughs> I love that like owning a website is what makes you a Silicon Valley baron now. I, he's, listen, he is on the track. He has like abused the word independent more than any other musician out right Right, now. he still calls himself an independent rapper and we mm. know that Apple Music is 
footing those bills and keeping him in Capri Suns. The Kit Kat bar commercial. <laughs> the Kit Kat bar commercial. Yes, he did a Kit Kat bar commercial. Demoralizing. He was in a bear suit. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm independent. Are you, sir? Kit Kat money. Listen, he said he's independent. He didn't say he doesn't love capitalism. Listen, I have issues with capitalism, but I'm not going to die a broke bitch either. So, <laughs> so one of the fine. Chicago papers that he talks about in that track wrote about how... So he literally did this in a song? Yeah, this is how he announced... I mean, he's collapsing his musician identity with his corpo identity. But one of these papers um, reported that he and his now fiancé, they have a child support issue and there's like a quote from someone talking this about this is how, the person that he proposed to like yes, recently right like, and they had so had, this is all timed obviously yeah. right um and he you know they talk about how he like exhibits like a lot like way too much control over her which is so scary to me because he has done so well in terms of like making himself the counter to like Kanye West in Chicago. You know, like Kanye mm-hmm. West in Chicago, like he didn't treat the city well, but I'm going to treat the city well. And people believe him. Yeah, there's like more dissent online. People are realizing that the image that he crafted is not correlated right, like with it's his literally actions. an image. <laughs> but he's just, he's he has a lot of power at a very young age, and I just don't trust him. Right, so he lashed out on the song against Cranes and Chicago Sun-Times for reporting <laughs> on the child support incident. He's while, like beefing while, with publishers? Right, <laughs> while also mentioning that like in his song that he, you know, he's helped raise $2 million to fund arts and education programs in Chicago public schools. You know, like his response seems to be, I'm donating money and trying to make Chicago a better place. So that means you don't get the right to report on me. And it's like, nigga, they reported on Jay-Z cheating on Beyonce. Right. All right. You so you are, you are, you Jay-Z are. Jay-Z going- about to buy the New York <laughs> Times, though. <laughs> it's going to be like Uncle Dean Baquet. <laughs> I know. That's Listen, you're going to laugh when it's called the Jay-Z Times. The Jay-Z Gazette. Well, you know, here's the thing millionaires and billionaires owning media companies is obviously the trend, but it is a terrible trend. Uh, it's like, because the thing with Chance is that he has a very well-crafted image of somebody who's like politically conscious and into philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, always looks like he is asking for the directions to right, Sesame Street. Totally. He looks like very innocent and whatever, but you know, the truth is that like money and capitalism are corrupting forces in people's lives and he is not immune to that. But the thing is that like, we know that he does not deal with uh, criticism very well. So not at all. it's not going to end well, but we'll see. Listen, I mean, we all know that he had a review of him removed from MTV News. Um, Who is sweating MTV that, News for right, reviews? That That's cri- like so but it's ludicrous. It's important to talk about the context of the removal too because mm-hmm. he had another situation that he was going to do with MTV, the channel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, <laughs> nearly a blackmail situation. Well, yeah, that's usually so what artists money, do with right. TV, right? This, is that like, or I'm not going to work with I'm, you again. Exactly. Yeah, or I'm not going to go to the European Music Awards or the Video Music Awards. The or European... Whatever. The EMAs are huge. They're so huge. <laughs> They're huge. There's been a few cases of that. I can't mention them on air. Yes, <laughs> but they are... Crooked media are going to be paying all of these legal bills. <laughs> allegedly. The most allegedly. guests you've ever had. <laughs> Listen, but also, but that's the business of like running an award show that is tied into a publication that you're pretending has editorial standards. You know, journalism is real work. It's not just like slapping words onto the internet, like even though that's what a lot of these artists think. There and are think, conflicts of interest. Right, and they think that right. the media works for them. And it's like, sir, that's actually not how uh, this whole arrangement works. Not but- at all. And one of the biggest conflicts of interest that Chancellor has regarding the city of Chicago, besides the fact his father worked with Rahm Emanuel, which, mm. you know, let's say that Chance is like doing some kind of like venture with the three of them or whatever. That needs to be reported on. Let's say it's corrupt. Yeah. How is the Chicago Chicagoist going to report on it? There's that, and then there's also R. Kelly, who well, he also in his song has been calling for Rom to resign. Yeah, but he's just doing it as a meme. He doesn't mean like he's literally just like googling like, ooh, like what are the blacks saying about 
Chicago. <laughs> what right. was the last? I'm, what was the last Twitter kerfuffle that Chance got in? Because he also seems like he never has a backbone. He's it was always regarding like, the fiance. Was, he'll. It was well, before no, the he, fiance. He, no, he also he like shared. Uh, he had to like delete some tweets. Well, you like, remember? He always does this. Where he he's defended. Like, Kanye West when Kanye yes, was right. saying slavery was a choice. Mm-hmm. So that was June and then the fiance thing was still Yeah. Out. I wonder what we'll get in August. I know. And then he also like got caught slipping last summer when he made some like anti-fat comments and then he definitely he did the like rapper thing that they all do where they're like I was hacked and I'm like that's not how hacking works but sure. You know, so it is, I don't know, all of all of these people that are, you know, I'm like, I get it. You're an artist and you're sensitive about your shit, LOL. But also I was like, there is room for criticism in this ecosystem. And literally sh- like a blog critiquing you is not what is going to ruin your career. So, it's going to, and I don't so, know. Like, and it's up. weird that people, I'm just saying there is this increasing sort of connection between artists and seeing how they are represented in the media. And you have some people like a Beyonce or Rihanna who are just sort of like, write what y'all want, you know? And like, they're just like, because I'm busy. Or they'll just like vanish from You think Rihanna takes time from like not smoking weed to like read Daily Mail? She does not right. have the time. <laughs> She's like I remember literally... when she used to respond to like things oh, on Twitter. A great era. Right. But I, I mean. The, the era that Cardi is currently in. We all should have left Hashtag Twitter when Rihanna because did. because I'm black, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> we all should have left Twitter when Rihanna did. I mean, listen, I get it, right? It is I, like, I don't, I like. As somebody who makes a podcast, Ira, I'm sure that you know this, or as somebody who is on Twitter, it is hard to see even just like random idiots say things about you that don't matter. But I would hope that one, money is like kind of, it's like the more money you make, the less time you should be spending here. Like Mm -hmm. this, like these places are cesspools. But also when you look at the kind of stuff that they're always mad about, it is really like, it is disproportionate the amount of force that they use and the fact that they don't understand that they are the big dogs now. It's like, well, should be it will always look, yeah. Should be worried about what people are saying about him on Twitter. Listen, this kick commercials are only 30 minutes, so he, does, yes, he has plenty of time. It's the yes men environment, you know, and I find it like, so I find it so upsetting that he like took advantage of, you know, another like mogul billionaire deciding to like squash this website and then coming in mm-hmm. like, I think there's this idea that like millennials or Generation Z, I don't know how old he is. Isn't he like 19 or something like that? No, he's he's our age. Isn't he our age? He's, uh, he's kind of young. He's, no, like he's, 20, 20, he's 25. He's 25. What? So there's this idea that that generation has it figured out, right? And no. I think, I think so. Like there's a lot of, you know, everybody hates millennials and they're putting like a lot of like hope into the Generation Z class of which he's not, but he's like definitely kind of nearly cusp. And I think that we need to be vigilant about moves like this. Chance being upset with Chicago publications and like, I'm going to own a publication myself. And now it's like, what is he going to write about in this publication? Right, I'm like, right. just get a Tumblr and tell people how you feel. I don't have time and also, for this. And if your staff there, now? if your staff there, like, you, will you, one, not You're be allowed the- to criticize Chance, but who else are you not allowed to criticize? Right. Kanye, like, because in, he's connected with network. good music. Right. You know, so it's like, it's going to become a hot button issue at some point. I mean, it already is. Uh, Chance the publisher. This is the most ink he's going to get on any of this. It is very dark times when a 25-year-old like rapper is out here thinks he can be a publisher. Woof. Child. (laughs) The audacity. The audacity. Capacity but black. Listen, that is such a thing. We can do... That's its own podcast. Listen... When we're back, the Whitney Houston documentary. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Directed by Kevin McDonald, the new documentary Whitney features never-before-unseen archival footage, rare performances, and interviews with those closest to her, including Bobby Brown, Sissy Houston, Clive Davis, and her brothers. It takes a deep dive into the troubled aspects of her life, including her relationship with Bobby, the drug use, and alleged child abuse by cousin Dee Dee Warwick. I found the documentary bleak as hell. It was like watching Requiem for a Dream. I didn't know what to do with myself after I finished watching it. One thing I appreciated about the documentary, which like truly like knocked me out, I thought that it was right of McDonald to not necessarily it wasn't like a solutions based documentary obviously he does something in the third act which we will talk about later that i found to I be so poor storytelling the third act. Mm. but i liked that he was able to get conflicting stories and you know put one of whitney's brothers talking about like her relationship with robin and then have her hairstylist talk about her relationship with robin and then you know we see that their perspectives are different because mm-hmm. i think that there is a tendency with like postmortem celebrity documentary to overemphasize like i figured out the true story you know i did this autopsy and i figured out what was wrong and i thought that mcdonald except for that mistake that he makes was good about showing that most people didn't really know every facet of the I movie. really liked the depiction of the Robin relationship um, until it sort of dropped out of the story yeah. towards the end. There were specific moments where we needed to know as an audience, this person ref- refused to talk about it. Sort of the way that he depicted Bobby on camera right. refusing to talk about the, the drug, drug use in Whitney's life. Yeah, the documentary... Should not have watched it at 5 p.m. when I did because it, like, bummed me out for the rest of the day. I'm still bummed out today. And it it made me think a lot about the ways that we are really exploitative in the way that we tell people's stories. You know, for as much as I was like, okay, like, I am glad that there is an account of, um, especially in that first act, everything that Whitney Houston meant. Like, I was born in 1985, and it wasn't until I watched that documentary that I was like, oh, even though I'm a Whitney Houston fan, I am actually too young to have lived through the pop culture moment of Same. Whitney. You know what I mean? I was like, that was the first time that I realized that. I was like, oh, like Whitney means a lot to me. Obviously, she meant a lot in my family. Also, I grew up in Africa, so everything is 10 years late, like to be clear. But I just, there, we there grew was. grew up in the early Bobby Brown it, era. Right. We, we missed we the grew, previous era. We grew up raised by the people who loved Whitney Houston. That's mm-hmm. actually like how that transference happened. And so that stuff was like fascinating to watch. Like I had not, it had not occurred to me that she was actually one of the first like black pop stars that like um, white people like glommed onto, for example. And I had no idea everything that, that, like, that meant. even the black people in the industry had sort of tension totally. with her early on, totally. you know, the booing her at the Soul Train Awards. Yeah, and like, and all of that stuff. But the, you know, the, the thing I think that came into so much focus in the third act and reminded me of the day that she died is just how everybody feels that they own a part of this person because she has been a part of our pop culture. And there is something really gross about telling somebody's story when they're not, they're not there to, to tell it for themselves. And, you know, and this is not to say that we shouldn't be like, you know, making documentaries about dead people. That's not the point. But the point is that what was so clear from the doc is that nobody knew the real Whitney. Everybody had a piece of Whitney. Including herself. Including herself. It was like her family knew this one Whitney. The people who were in her love life knew this one aspect of her. They're, you know, the people that she worked in the industry with. And she clearly, part of her pain was that she could never be one person to all these people. And so, like, that made me feel really, 
I don't know. I felt complicit in this kind of grossness of well, same. You don't you don't want to talk about this, and I thought it was interesting. Um, I, the people who didn't want to speak <laughs> on camera, I was like, I actually respect that. I don't know that I would have participated in this because it is an exercise also in trusting the filmmaker Mm -hmm. and you don't have any business trusting a filmmaker because you don't know what's, you know, like what their kind of their intention is and how that comes out. Right. Especially because this, um, it struck me that, um, I didn't hear a lot from Whitney in this documentary. You know, I mean, there's, there wasn't a lot of her voice in it, which if you compare that to, the 2015 Amy Winehouse documentary, mm-hmm. Amy, um, a lot of that is, you know, it's almost like she was vlogging, you know? Right. You know, so it's like... But that's so the whole point about, like, keeping was, contemporaneous yes. accounts of, like, yourself. And and that's something, I guess, that maybe, but, you know, people have better tools to do now. But I, you know, I'm just like, mm, I don't want nobody talking about me when I'm dead. And I'm, like, nowhere near Whitney Houston famous. But it, let's get into the, like, messy third act. Part of this feeling of feeling very, like, unsettled about it is that there were so many revelations in the third act that felt like they were supposed to be plot twists, you know? And I thought Mm -hmm. that that was very, I thought that that was very exploitative. I was like, actually, if you had brought this to the forefront earlier on, it would have felt like, here's a documentary about new information that you do not know about Whitney Houston, as opposed to, like, Here's who Whitney says she is. Here's who the, Whit- the people Whitney say they are. And then dark secrets. You didn't know you know? the real Whitney. You didn't know the real Whitney. Especially when like those allegations are about, um, you know, like childhood sexual abuse. And and clearly like, you know, the family like also doesn't really know about it. It felt very much like plot twist for the sake of plot twist as opposed to here's an allegation about something that happened in Whitney's life and it's not supposed, it shouldn't feel as, um, yeah, it felt really salacious the way that it was presented and it made me feel even sadder about her. And the thing is that like, if you contrast that with the way that the death is treated, it's actually like very fascinating. I was like, Oh, this is actually the first time, you know, like especially on the background of like Kanye, like exploiting the photo from the bathroom where she died or whatever. And I was like, actually, in the documentary, like, her death is treated in this very respectful way. And I had wished that some of these allegations and some of the other, you know, like, things that are private to her had been treated with that same kind of regard. So I think what we saw there, it was, like, totally subtext of the documentary is that Sissy Houston had a very strong hand in forming the story. Mm-hmm. And what separates it from Whitney Can I Be Me which was premiered last year. Which is the one that the family was like. They were like, we're not going to participate in this one is that Sissy was an executive producer. I found it like very telling that they seem to correlate because it's in the third act where we're approaching the end of her life. They seem to correlate like the sexual abuse that she suffered as a child with her death. Like they place them together. Like it's Mary, her longtime assistant, sort of like, telling these stories in a um, like interwoven way. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, she's talking about Whitney telling her about her abuse. And then also we're like approaching Mary finding Whitney in the tub. And I think that as a documentarian, I don't know how you really square. I'm going to tell like, I'm going to try and report this story, but I'm going to have a figure, Sissy Houston, who was very problematic in the life of Whitney and in the death of Whitney and in the life and death of her daughter, have such a strong influence over mm-hmm. it. And I think you feel it. You know, you feel the censoring happening. And you feel the slant toward the vilifying of her father, who obviously was shady, but, you know, was he shady in a... Joe Jackson, you know, Papa Noel sort of of way. Or because, like, yeah, he seemed like a Dick Tracy gangster. And then when they're talking about the abuse, there's this thing where, like, a lot of people were like, well, if Sissy knew about it, it would have ended. If Sissy was home. Which is such a... a, uh, It's very transparent to me. It seems like like her version of revisionist history. If I'd have known, I would have done something. And the thing, too, is that, like, it's really dishonest in the sense that, like, you know, it... It's, like, fair. Some people who are abused, like, have that percolate. Like, it percolates in your life for the rest of your life. But to tie it so strongly into her death, 
mm-hmm. with no evidence of that, I think is really wildly irresponsible. Another thing that I thought was irresponsible in the documentary is how they really let Clive Davis like skate off, you know? And I was like, actually, here's somebody who had a huge hand into molding her into the specific kind of pop star and not really being herself and, you know, having to adhere to this uh, very strong aesthetic. And it's just like, oh, like. But early on, they were like. You know what I mean? People say Clive Davis has something to do with Whitney right, Houston. Right, but they never. Actually, they, it, it was sissy, and then he's gone. Right, right, and then he's gone, and I was like, actually, like that, and and it's so gross, especially when you think about the fact that like Clive Davis a couple of years ago like wrote his own like autobiography. Yeah. He gets to tell his story, and all it like it it made me think so much about how like if you do not have control about how people talk about you it only gets worse in death you know and Mm. and everybody and the thing about Whitney is that even in this documentary people are still exploiting her everybody has like money to gain off of her or some sort of fame or some Mm -hmm. sort of thing and it just makes me so sad and it was it was sort of weird you know in that trying to tie in the abuse to the death and all these revelations towards the end it really just sort of glossed over how we all sort of embraced Whitney again a few years before her death when like Million Dollar Bill and yeah, like it those was like songs po- were coming post out. Post her Oprah interview yes. because she like came back and again, this it's so funny like tying back this into the chance conversation, how much people people refuse to realize the like the shaping forces in an artist's life because that was the thing that was supposed to be her comeback. There's a whole comeback story told around her. That Oprah interview spanned two days. I like love the like Oprah two day interviews because they mm-hmm. just always go off the rails around like day one point five. And you know, and but the songs were also bops, you know, yes. like well, I all a- like all of that stuff was great. But you could tell that she was not happy, you know, in that moment. It's like the music was like it was definitely like they were making club bangers for her. And everything was like meant to be listened into European arenas, but you could tell that she was not happy. I think I have a theory about why McDonald kind of makes it seem like it was all a downward spiral and that there wasn't this moment of hope with Whitney towards the end. And I think part that hope, like, you know, we're talking about the Oprah interview. I think it was kind of like guided by black cultural figures in a way where the previous generation of Whitney, as he explicates so well in the documentary very much had to do with like that crossover space you know the other thing that this reminded me of i also watched the andre leon talley documentary recently which is like very sad for like like kind of similar black kind of reasons because i think that if anything it reflects the lens back on you that you know like i was watching and i was like oh wow like i have gotten older and my understanding of these people and who they are in the culture has drastically changed there's a time in my life where I thought that like Whitney was, you know, top of her game, untouchable, like, you know, like what could Whitney want more of? And then I thought the same thing about ALT, which is just, you know, it's like we're kids and we're idiots. And also you don't know the actual real lives of famous people. You just know what they give you. And it was that same thing where it's like watching this man who so many like people have revered. They think that he's always had this super important kind of life. And then you realize like, oh, one, it's more complicated than that. But also, uh, he, like, time has moved on. Like, he's there was a time. broke. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's broke. It's like if Anna Wintour hadn't made him buy the house that he lives in that he refuses to he let them go in, he wouldn't have anything, which, like, kind of broke my brain in half. I was like, are you serious? And I had a lot of those moments, like, watching the Whitney documentary. That was sad was like, the oh. Whitney moment. I was like, was you like, are, like, a real human. Yeah. yeah, she was like, she had to go on tour, otherwise she would have been homeless. Yeah. Because she, like, had nothing. And I was like, wow. Like, things that you, like, would have never occurred to me to think about. And things that, at the same time, I'm like, I'm not sure that that's something that they want to share with the world. And the only thing that you can do, honestly, walking out of those movies is not think about them and think about, like, what you want out of your own life and what you want for your own legacy to be. Because Mm. otherwise... Save money. Yeah, save money. Because otherwise somebody's going to put you on the Summer Jam screen and then, you know, like, people are going to be talking about you on podcasts. Right. It's all about having good credit as Jay-Z, the new owner of the New York Times (laughs) website. And when we're back, keep it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. All right, ladies, this is the best part of Keep It. Every week, we talk about what we don't like in pop culture at the moment. What you want to say, no thanks, keep it to. Uh, I'm going to say no thanks to all these men who have spent years making jokes about rape culture and triggering us and making us feel like shit. And then uh, now that their coin is involved, they're all of a sudden like turning around. So this particular keep it goes to Charlemagne and to the HBO <laughs> network, uh, where, uh, you know, if you don't know who Charlemagne is, good for you. If you do know, he is even white more- people are thinking of a different Charlemagne. Yes. They're like, is she, up the history. Yes. Is she saying what keep it to Charlemagne? <laughs> I am saying keep it to Charlemagne. <laughs> Keep it. Keep it to Shalimar. Oh my God. Keep it. You gave us nothing. You and the Visigoths. Uh, (laughs) It's not even the same history era. Who knows? Um, But you know, here's the. It's been so annoying to watch like Charlemagne, the black Charlemagne, um, go through his whole, uh, you know, like his past is also being unearthed. The thing about it that is wild is that for years, he has been making jokes about rape. He has admitted that um, he has hit women in his life. That um, you know, uh, he he has this whole bit about like maybe he raped his wife and that she has agreed with him. And now the allegations from his past are now like you know, uh, competing with his own words. And that he has this project at HBO where he's interviewing people. Also, y'all. The HBO interview project is literally called The Gray Area, which is oh. a terrible name. So cheap. It's so cheap. And just this like idea that, um, you know, because the whole the whole way they sold the show is that Charlemagne's not afraid to have hard conversations, you know, and so and that it's OK. And it's actually like, no, HBO, you just gave a TV show to a troll and you are rewarding bad behavior everywhere. And when you think about like a network that has such a terrible record on getting people of color into their pipeline, that this is the show that they would choose and this is the shit that's going on with him. And also, it doesn't surprise me that it's mostly black media that is writing about all of the Charlemagne stuff. Because when black women are involved in any kind of assault and abuse, nobody cares. See one Robert Kelly. You know, and it's so it's so irritating to me. I was like, you you do not get to like change your mind uh, to the whims of capitalism. You do not get to say that they were all jokes or that you have changed now and that you've grown. You actually do real harm on your platform all the time. And you are getting a bigger platform to do that kind of harm. So HBO, keep the gray area. Charlemagne, keep it. Like, don't want to hear anything about it ever again. And media personalities who are out here defending Charlemagne. What's up, Angela Wright? <laughs> Do less. Do yeah, less. Seriously, do like. Can you imagine dying on the hill of like, uh, my friend is not a child molester, but for here are the jokes that his for Charlemagne. Charlemagne. What's and, he gonna do for you? Listen, prop up patriarchy for you. That's what he's gonna do. <sighs> These people are wild. Like, can you imagine? Can you actually imagine that? Like, putting your whole career on the line and your own reputation on the line for somebody who day in and day out says disgusting things like I remember the Janet Mock interview on Breakfast Club and that's like one of the like top most offensive things that has happened on the iHeartMedia platform like in recent history and the fact that like even more offensive was the interview after Janet Mock wasn't there when he was mocking her yes what's his name Lil Duval Lil Zane. Lil Zane Duval. But you know what I mean? It's like these guys get to just like 
they just say garbage and nonsense all the time. They have huge platforms and they get away with it. And then the minute that they are starting to get bigger, they get to say, when I was young and stupid, I was young and stupid. But they still hold those same beliefs. So um, I will not be watching any of that mess. Doreen, what's your keep it? Mine is related to Chancellor the Publisher. <laughs> Obama, keep it. Um, I guess maybe... <laughs> Honestly, the dancing in Kenya, the like meme of retirement Obama is getting kind of tiring to me. But that's not my keep it. <laughs> <laughs> it is regarding Tronc, Troncy, formerly known as Tribune Publishing, and is also going to be known as Tribune Publishing again. Yesterday in New York, half of the New York Daily News staff was axed. Because this, like, big corpo publisher decides that, you know, they want to have more wealth and they want to squash local reporting. Um, I say that it's related to the Chance stuff, although he is, like, buying a local website. There is this very insidious thing that is happening in media right now, which we have referenced, which is that billionaires control it. And they decide people's fates at the drop of a dime. I'm told that the reporters from the New York Daily News just went into their office for a meeting. And within a minute, like half of them had been fired. And allegedly, Trunk is going to fire more people. Right, that's from... like, where are those people going to go? Exactly. Because, you know, you're getting rid of daily reporting and local reporting is the spine of all journalism, all criticism. You know, when Harvey Weinstein is arrested, we don't learn about how it felt at his perp walk unless there are local reporters there telling us how people were feeling and what they were saying. We don't see these things, you know. We can talk about this poor girl who was murdered in uh, Oakland this weekend mm -hmm. by a white supremacist, Nia Wilson, who's 18 years old. Like, we find out these stories. These stories get propelled in national media because of local reporting. And so to all these billionaires who think that local reporters are dispensable, that they can be thrown out at the drop of a dime. I have a massive keep it for you. And I think that we need to like, we need to establish reader owned, writer owned local websites and publishers because we cannot count on these people. We cannot, we cannot count on the benevolence of like a millionaire, like Chance the Rapper deciding that he wants to buy the website. And we can't count on Trunk deciding that, you know, they want to basically like Trunk, it's literally put in the, the daily name news into they're oblivion. Cut everything that they own. I'm like, it's literally what the name says. Um, so hopefully, you it know, sounds like an '80s spinoff of She-Ra. Trunk. Trunk. <laughs> <laughs> you are a fool. <laughs> I mean, the LA Times got bought by that like supposedly like good billionaire dude. Mm -hmm. Um, so hopefully, you know, like. Steve Jobs Where are the good billionaires? The like, billionaires are bad. Look at Jeff Bezos and Give owns me a billion dollars. Jeff, he owns me. Nice. Jeff Bezos owns like billions of dollars, and he still won't give Washington Post reporters raises. I was he's like, sir, one hundred and fifty billion dollars. What are you gonna do right? with all that money? Since I said that, now he's worth one hundred and sixty billion. Uh, <laughs> I just got an email that Jeff Bezos dropped off some things that I ordered from Amazon outside my apartment Yo. in LA. You know, as soon as I fly back that's today, that's the problem with Amazon. We all complicit. We know that it's grapes of wrath in the working environment, but we still out here getting two day shipping. You know, there was a protest last week for on Amazon Prime Day. They were boycotting. It's bad, but we didn't even know about it because um, Amazon owns us. And I ordered when, some, and I when ordered Ira some and I are here. when Ira and I are billionaires. <laughs> um, what what is Doreen Magazine going to do for us? Oh my God, Doreen Magazine. First of all, it's not going to be called Doreen Magazine. It's going to be called D Big D. <laughs> Vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to write adulatory stuff about you guys. You are definitely not going to be a nice guy. I'm going to be evil. Are you anyway, kidding me? <laughs> let me get to my keep it. Um, I'm changing I, my keep it to Ira being a billionaire. <laughs> keep it. <laughs> uh, my keep it was going to be about Robert Kelly and his 19-minute ass Jonathan Franzen audiobook. My real keep it uh, is to Riverdale season three. Wow. wow, what a plot twist. It is not cut. I know, right? It's, it's, <laughs> it's not even airing yet, but I loved Riverdale season one. You know, I loved these sexy teens, you know, getting into antics. And then season two introduced a serial killer. And I was like, I don't have time for this. 
Archie's on trial for murder. There is a cult in season three. What is happening? Throw it all in. Kitchen sink what season. What is happening? Somebody bring back passions. I don't have time for this. <laughs> oh my wow. God, Tabitha. Wow. I need, wow. I need a real sexy teen soap opera. I can't, I can't do it. You know, Maybe I used you to can pre- write it. I used to pretend to be well, sick when I was I'm like in on it. elementary school so I could watch Passions. That's funny. I um, used to pretend that I was sick so that I couldn't watch the tail end of Whitney and Bobby Ooh. and like rush home. And it's, I think it's pretty much why I didn't major in biology because I was like, this airs at the same time as this dumb class, so I gotta have to drop it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's why I ended up in liberal could arts. Have had doctor, yeah, it was like, not it was. I could be doctor, I mean, not to. It was that, and then uh, that terrible Flavor Flav TV show uh, with Flavor Brigitte Nielsen. No, 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 like the the one where they were all in the house. You like, know, she just had a baby at, at 50. fifty. I know, no, like fifty four. Her first child is like thirty four years old. <sighs> you know what? Well, you know what? If if Janet can have a baby at 200, then anyone can have a child. That's so rude, Ira. (laughs) (laughs) Massage noir, all over. (laughs) I think all. I'm sorry. I think all of the Jacksons are titans from Mount Olympus. They are centuries old. I know. Didn't the grandpa just die? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not on Twitter. I find my news on Facebook two weeks later. It's always like (laughs) right way to things. I know. I'm Uh, always like, what? Thank you, Aminatu So. Merci, mon chéri. Uh, merci, Doreen Saint Felix. Oh, merci, Chouchou. <laughs> <laughs> à la semaine prochaine, keep it. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 